Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Exodus. We are going to read about the miracle of manna. Uh, that would have been something else to experience that. Uh, it describes it basically as a flavor of donuts. How about that, huh? Only I'm sure they were healthy donuts. <laughs> uh, Exodus chapter 16. Will you stand together with me for the reading of God's word? And they journeyed from Elam. And the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate the bread to full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gathered daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you should complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning, bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints, uh, your complaints which you make against him, and what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has your, heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in clouds. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up in the evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay at all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. <clears throat> so when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had uh, gathered according to each one's need. And then skip over to verse 31. And the house of the Lord called its, and the house of the Lord called its name manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it, and let it be kept for generations, 
that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to the inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you have provided always for your people. Never have we been in need. And even now we read of this passage where you provided for your nation of Israel in the midst of their complaints in the wilderness. And we see your mercy and your grace at work, even in that. And today, Father, as we listen to uh, Pastor Nick preach from uh, the passage regarding the uh, multiplication of the bread, we are reminded once again today of your provision for us, that you are the bread of life. And so, Father, we pray, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to believe, give us minds to understand that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect work of yours is. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 1. We're actually going to read all the way to verse 21 uh, this morning. While you're turning there, just thinking about the manna, that word manna, that is the same word that the the Israelites said when they saw this bread on the ground. They said, manna, what is it? And that became the English word for manna, the bread that God provided. That's just a fun fact, you know, that you can keep in your back pocket that you're saying a Hebrew word when you say manna. But the significance of that is really profound because what was God showing them? He had taken them out of slavery. He had purchased a people for himself. He fought to save Israel. He made them his own. And then he, when they were grumbling, worried about what they were going to eat, longing for their slavery when they are at least provided for by their old masters, God provides for his people, feeding them food in the middle of the wilderness, feeding roughly a million people that were out there. Where were they to get food? It's the same question that Moses asked. How am I going to get enough food to feed all these people? And God provides. And what we see, we've already seen in Mark's gospel, Jesus do the exact same thing in Mark chapter 6 when he fed the 5,000. Jesus provided for Jewish people who were celebrating the Passover in the springtime, hence the green grass. And Jesus provided for them food in the midst of the wilderness out of nothing. What sort of sign was that to be to his people except that He's identifying with the God of Israel. Well, we're going to see that he does the exact same miracle, but in a different context for a different purpose. 
Let's go now and start to read Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 1. This is the word of God. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got in his boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up and take? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the God's holy and errant word. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you have shown us who Jesus Christ is as the incarnate God who came to save sinners. And I pray that you would open our eyes to see Give us ears to hear the truth of what you have shown us in your word today. Lord, we are dependent upon him completely. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I titled the sermon pretty early in the week that the problem isn't bread. The problem's not about bread. 
And we've actually seen this food theme really since Mark chapter 6. When he fed the 6,000, it's come up again and again. Even last week when we were reading about the Syrophoenician woman, she came to him, Jesus, asking for her daughter to be healed. And he said, it's not good to give the children's bread to dogs. When the children he's speaking of is that he was seeking to satisfy the children with bread, then he would feed the Gentile dogs. And the woman even appealed to him and saying, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to eat the bread underneath the table. And even when we were looking at that, one thing that was so striking about that was the seeming harsh words. And looking at the reasoning behind it, the key to understanding the harsh words of Jesus in that context was that line that he said first, is the chronology, that satisfaction was to be given, the food was to be given first to the Jews and then to the Greeks, then to the Gentiles. And that is another word that we utilize, but I, that I don't think we often realize what we're saying when we say Gentiles and we read that word in the Bible. Gentiles is just the word for the nations. There's the nation of Israel, who are the Jews, and then you have all the rest of the nations. You have one nation that was given all the promises of God, the promises that were given to Abraham and given to him that were to be received by faith alone and the promise of a Messiah to come. And then you had all the rest of the nations. And that's important because we are being included in that statement of the dogs. And we might think, especially reading the Old Testament, that God only loves the Jewish people, that he doesn't have a love for all the other nations. Well, that would be a pretty myopic reading of your Old Testament, skipping over books like Hosea, where God is going after his adulterous people who are constantly rejecting him and then looking forward to a day when he's going to show his love to all the nations. Or the book of Jonah, where he sends a Jewish man to go and be a prophet to the Assyrians, a terrible nations who committed a lot of atrocities. No, as Peter came to the conclusion later in his life in the book of Acts, he says, now I realize that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. In the subsequent verses, he says, everyone who believes specifically in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. That's Acts chapter 10, if you want to read that. And what we have here in this picture of this bread that Jesus is providing is really a picture of seeing Jesus's compassion and love, not just for the Jewish people, but for all the nations. And we're given a really clear picture of this love that Jesus has for all the nations. And when he is, shows that he's able to provide bread, when he shows that the problem of the Pharisees is not one about bread per se, but it's one about uh, the yeast of their teachings. And then when we look at the disciples and their problem, their problem is not one of food, but one of understanding. 
one of perception. I hope that when I was reading through those first 10 verses that you did remember something. Remember back in the beginning of, or in Mark chapter six, not the beginning, where he had fed and did the exact same miracles, the same miracle of feeding these people. And so much of it is paralleled from the compassion that Jesus feels, from the concern for the crowd and their hunger, from the asking a question of the disciples and getting them to understand that they couldn't provide for the needs of the people in front of them. Really here, the only difference between this miracle and the previous one in Mark chapter 6 is the context where he does it. He does it in those, that first verse, in verse 8, it says, in those days. Well, this is during his travels throughout the Gentile regions in the north. Of the north end of the Sea of Galilee, he's traveling. He's already started doing miracles for G different Gentile people, seeing how the Messiah in his, in his coming reign was starting to spill over the blessings out from Israel and into the surrounding countries. They're coming together. And Jesus says something striking about these Gentiles. He says that he has compassion upon them. And he cares about them in a way that I think we often overlook. He says he, that he's cared, that he has compassion, because they've been following him three days without eating at all. And he's concerned that when they go on their way home, they might faint along the way. Some of them, in particular, have come from a very far distance. When we think about Jesus' compassion, we often think of eternal things. They purchases us an eternal redemption, that we have salvation in him. And really, I think there's a proper priority here about prioritizing eternal life that we receive through Jesus Christ versus temporary blessings. But that's not to say that Jesus doesn't care. Jesus cares about the needs of his people. Matthew chapter 6, when he's telling his disciples about why they're not to be anxious, he doesn't tell them that they're not to be anxious because that earthly stuff, food, shelter, clothing, it doesn't matter. No, we're given the picture that your heavenly father gives food to sparrows. Your heavenly father clothes the fields with lilies. How much more does he care about you? in your needs. When we talk about the compassion of Jesus, he cared about people's real needs. That included the whole reason why he came to achieve and to accomplish for his people salvation and the sense of eternal life. But Jesus cares about our every need. That's why we can go to our God who is able to provide and ask him to provide for our need, to provide for a hunger. We are to seek after righteousness' sake, and then to trust God with supplying the rest, supplying our needs. Jesus cares for their physical needs and their distresses. And just like he's shown before, he's able to satisfy their every need. Bread is not a problem here. It wasn't a problem before. And it really has never been a problem for those who are around Jesus. It's never been a problem because he is able to provide. 
And just like he did before with the Jews, the same picture now is being portrayed, mirroring what, ha mirroring what happened in Exodus when God the Father provided manna, food, bread for his people in the wilderness. So Jesus is showing that he is the same person. He's the same being. He is not the Father, but he is the Son who has become a carnate, who is sent. He is God in human form, and he is able to provide for his people food out of nothing, just as God did in, for Israel after their exodus into Egypt. Jesus has compassion then for the, for the Gentiles too, not just for the Jews, to satisfy their every need. And that means every need. That doesn't mean that there will never be a time when we don't, as Christians, go hungry or get sick because we do live in a fallen world and death and destruction has not been undone yet. That is still a future day. But I think too often we are like the disciples, that we're so quick to forget how many acts of divine providence it took in our lives to get us to this moment. How God in his kindness answered prayer to provide for our needs, answered our prayers for food, for the next paycheck, to keep our jobs, answering our prayers to provide opportunities to bear witness to Christ to others. God has been so kind and so gracious to us. And I think it's a, sometimes we're a little bit flippant about casting all of God's compassion towards us as a future reality when God cares about us right now. God spoke to us a very, very comforting word when Jesus Christ said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And he's with his disciples now. And after feeding the 4,000, he exits and he gets immediately on the boat in verse 10, and he goes to the district of Dalmanutha. Now, we don't know exactly where this is, where this is, but this is Jewish tent territory. There's a couple of different cities that it could be associated with, but Jesus has been really around the Sea of Galilee. He's just been pivoting and just sailing his boat all around it, going to various towns, all encircling around it. And the important thing is to see that he's back in, in a Jewish territory. And the first thing that he encounters is the Pharisees who come and begin to argue with him, seeking from him, ironically, a sign from heaven to test him. They had seen him do so many different signs. They might have not seen, they, the irony in this passage is that they missed that he had just done a sign from heaven, showing that he really is the Messiah and more than Messiah, the son of God. But they had witnessed their entire lives or the entire ministry of Jesus, rather. Jesus doing signs that attested to who he is. I think it's important to just think about John chapter three. Remember when Nicodemus comes over to Jesus in the middle of the night so that he doesn't get uh, found out by his peers that he's going to seek the wisdom of Jesus. This is what uh, Nicodemus said to Jesus that night. He said, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're a teacher. Come from God. 
for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The rabbis, these Pharisees, knew from the evidence of the signs that he had done throughout his entire ministry that they were come from God. Why were they coming to him to ask for this sign then? Well, it's a test. They came to test him. And it's been a while since we've been in Mark chapter uh, 1. But we heard this word to test happen for the first time in Jesus' interactions with Satan in the wilderness. That Jesus came into the wilderness and Satan tempted or tested him there. And that word to test that Satan did to Jesus is then done through the same thing to test by the Pharisees three separate times. The first time here in chapter 8, we'll see this word occur again, a testing by the Pharisees in chapter 9, and then again in chapter 10. The same kind of testing. It's a temptation. It's to get Jesus to do and act as their personal Pez dispenser, getting them to be their performance audience. I heard Alistair Begg say this, and I felt like it was too good to not include. He said, if you have a big brain, the Bible is sufficient for your big brain. If you have a big head, you'll find the Bible to be of no use to you at all. In other words, Christ is more than willing to cater to our intellectual integrity, but he is entirely unwilling to pander to intellectual arrogance. Did you catch that? The signs that Jesus did to speak to who he was in connection to himself as revealed throughout the entire Old Testament, he did those things to satisfy our intellectual cravings. Do you want to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? The kind of faith that we ask you to have is not one that's a mere leap into the dark, into nothingness. We're asking you as Christians to place your trust in Jesus Christ because he is who he said to be, and he proved it. He did things that attested to it. Jesus is all about satisfying the intellectual curiosities of people. And the Bible is more than sufficient and up to the task of you putting and testing it to see if it truly is the word of God. But what God never does is bow down and cower down to our arrogance. You know, these, this sign from heaven that the Pharisees asked for, it sounds a lot like Voltaire. Voltaire also asked, and he was honest at least about seeing signs. And Voltaire, when he was, uh, when he looked at different signs, I didn't highlight this one. Oh, yeah, I didn't, but I found it. So that's good. That's good. Change of pace for me. Voltaire, French atheist, summed it up and said this. He was honest enough to say, even if a miracle should be wrought in open marketplace before a thousand sober witnesses, I would rather mistrust my senses than admit a miracle. That's honesty for you. 
That's what true unbelief looks like. That's what the Pharisees had demonstrated. This is why they had already committed the unforgivable sin in Mark chapter 4. When they looked at the signs from heaven, seeing God speak to them and said that what Jesus was doing was miracles wrought by the power, not of the Holy Spirit, but of the devil. This is a dangerous place to be in, my friends. To have eyes, a working eyes, working memory, the ability to read, the ability to understand and comprehend complex facts, and yet to reject what is plain. Because it really isn't about the evidence. It's about you not wanting to bend the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a dangerous place to be. This is why when Jesus, right when he gets into the boat, he warns them about the yeast of the Pharisees. And if you've been waiting for that fill in the blank, the yeast of the Pharisees is the real problem here that Jesus deals with. In verse 15, he warns his disciples saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Leaven, it's not exactly like yeast, but it has the same sort of function. Yeast is bacteria that's in bread that ferments it and causes it to rise. And it just takes a little bit for the whole lump of dough to be able to rise from yeast. What leaven is, is a small piece of fermented dough that had yeast in it that they would then bake into and knead first, knead into the whole lump, and that small amount of leaven, that small old fermented dough would work its way throughout the whole lump of dough and then cause it all to rise. What's the leaven here? Well, what he's teaching is that he's warning them is that this unbelief is dangerous. It doesn't take but a few people to corrupt the whole, to lead all astray. And you see the Pharisees doing this constantly. They're using their position of power. They're using their influence to turn the crowd against Jesus, to at some times being less successful than others, but they're constantly trying to use their, their influence to pull and turn people away from Jesus Christ. We have to be careful from that. And specifically, the leaven that they have here, you think, what connects the Pharisees to Herod? Both of them are openly hostile to the Lord Jesus Christ. One to his teachings, the other to his person. One to him as prophet, the other to him as king. Herod sought to threaten, uh, sought to kill Jesus on at least one occasion. We see he killed John the Baptist, and he was looking for Jesus, as Matthew tells us in the parallel text, also to kill Jesus. It's open hostility. The leaven here could be lots of different things. It can be sometimes the leaven is referred to as the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who try to teach God's word, but don't adhere to it at all. The leaven of having bad teaching that corrupts the whole. The point here is avoid false teachers. Avoid those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. The avoidance is not one of distance as if if we get close to them, 
that we're going to get dirty. That's what the Pharisees thought about the Gentile people. No, the leaven here is in one of imbibing it, one of taking those teachings in. Instead of being hard-hearted, dig into Scripture when you have questions. See that your belief is founded on a firm rock of reality. But we have another irony. The disciples' problem, bread is not a problem for the disciples, but it, it is a problem for them to understand it. That's that last fill in the blank. Bread is a problem for the disciples to understand. You see, Jesus was trying to talk about warning them about the Pharisees, warning about their corrupt teachings, their bad influence. But the disciples, they just had their mind about food. And for good reason. I mean, verse uh, 14 says, now they had forgotten to bring bread and they only had one loaf in the boat with them. They just had experienced Jesus feed 4,000 people having baskets full of broken pieces of bread. And then in the rush to leave, they forgot all the bread. They forgot all the food. And when Jesus starts talking about leaven, starts talking about bread rising, they're like, you know, Jesus, that's an interesting thought about, you know, what you want to teach us about a warning about bread, but we got a bigger problem here. I can't believe, who forgot to bring the bread? They're discussing with one another, verse 16, the fact that they had no bread. Isn't this so much like us? That we're constantly being distracted by things that we're told an illustration of a spiritual truth and we get distracted and focus on the illustration instead. I remember growing up and my brother, we were in a Sunday school class and we were being taught about the difference between Old and New Testament and saying, you know, it'd be like trying to go back to the horse and carriage days and leaving behind our automobiles. And I remember uh, a family member saying, well, you know, I actually like horses a lot. I like to pet horses. Horses are fun to take care of. I think that would be better. Slower pace of life. And it's, what are you doing? <laughs> you know the point that they're trying to get at, but we do that all the time. And it's really easy for us to be judgmental towards the disciples and say, wow, I wouldn't have been that dumb. I wouldn't have been that dense but that's because we're, this is in hindsight. We're looking on the situation back then. You're not currently hungry without any food and just realize that you have one biscuit that's supposed to be feeding the 12, 13 people that are in the boat. And they're like, you know, we can listen to that warning that you have later, Jesus. Let's be focused on bread. But there's a reason why we see how kind of thick skulled that response is. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing, this is verse 14, the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? The answer to that question is yes. That was their problem. Just like this is the second feeding miracle of thousands and thousands of people, this is the third time Jesus is in a boat with them explaining who he is. 
the first time he's asleep on the boat, they wake him up. He speaks a word and the waves, wind and waves become completely calm and they're fearful. Why? Because they understand that who is this man is what they ask themselves. The right conclusion should be God's in their boat. The second time they were in a boat, they were also dealing with winds and waves and they see then Jesus walking on water. Jesus gets into the boat. The wind and waves become completely calm. And what's their reaction? They don't know anything. Mark chapter 6, verse 52 says that they were, com- that they were perplexed because they had not understood the miracle of the loaves. They hadn't understood what they'd just seen in Jesus providing food for 5,000 people. The answer here is they don't understand. They don't perceive because their hearts are hard-hearted, which is something that Jesus already said about them in Mark 6, 52. Why is this? You know, the problem with the disciples is not about bread. There's a reason why they don't understand, though. It's because they're spiritually blind. Jesus shows them this by saying, have you not, uh, having eyes, verse 18, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? You might be thinking they forgot the bread. Maybe they forgot that he fed 4,000 people and fed 5,000 people. Well, and not on this do not remember point, Jesus says, he shows them that they really do remember. When I broke 5,000 loaves, or five loaves for 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? What do they say? Do they forget the number? No, they say 12. What about the 7,000, Jesus says to them? Uh, the, the seven loaves for the 4,000. How many baskets of broken pieces did you pick up? Seven. And he said to them in his responses, do you not yet understand? They remembered. They had eyes. They have ears. But isn't it amazing that despite the five senses that we have, And even our memory that we have of all God's past providence, all of his taking care for us, looking over our needs. That's so often to forget that we have a God in heaven who cares for us. That if Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins, can he not take care when we have an issue at work that we might lose our job? When we suffer from either sudden illness or chronic illness? Jesus cares. Jesus has compassion. And his compassion is completely indiscriminate about what your ethnicity is, what your gender is, anything about you. If you are in Christ, he cares for all your needs and is able to abundantly supply for every one of your needs. As he cares and has compassion on all of his creation, on all people, He shows his kindness. What's the problem here? The problem is spiritual blindness. 
that we are all born with an innate senses to understand our environment, to live in it. We can look at the clouds and see, oh, it's, it's raining outside. I'm going to change my plans. And yet, what we don't have is the capability of connecting those facts, of saying that this world did not just produce itself. It had to come from someone that people can treat Thanksgiving and not even, or celebrate Thanksgiving with not even understanding who they are to give thanks to. Isn't that an amazing thought that we still have Thanksgiving in America, even though as a majority, we've forgotten who we're supposed to give thanks to? Who are we to be thankful to? Ourselves? Random chance that made us be put in the family that we are put in? Born into the situation and time where we don't have to hunger and starve? All the different little providences that led us to this moment where we have food on the table? Is that what we're supposed to be thankful to? No, we're supposed to be thankful to God. Knowing that the food that was on our table that we ate on Thanksgiving was owed to and given to us by a heavenly father who cares for all our needs. You know, we're not to get too ahead of myself, but Jesus is going to show them what it takes to have your spiritual eyes open, to have your spiritual blindness removed when he has demonstrates for the blind man who's brought to him as he gives him eyes to see. That's what the disciples need. When the disciples finally come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah and Son of God, it's because the Heavenly Father revealed it to him. He didn't just come to it on his own, despite the clarity of all the facts. And I think it's at this point that we need to ask ourselves, do you yet understand? We've been in Mark for a while now. We've seen him do countless miracles. Let me tell you, he's not going to appear to you personally to give you your own personal miracle so that you could believe. And if we're honest with ourselves, we would be like Voltaire. And if we had a miracle, we would probably doubt our senses. Say, uh, you know, something was wrong with my eyes. I had a hallucination. Or if someone came to me attesting to a miracle, we'd say they're crazy. Their mind is not about them. Do you yet understand who Jesus is? Do you yet believe? If you're seeking understanding, if you feel like those dense disciples, go to your heavenly father. Ask him that he would give you eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of who he is. And we have the promise in Isaiah 55 that all those who hunger and thirst, who seek after him for the bread that will never leave us hungry and the water that will leave us never again thirsty, God will provide. He's abundant in compassion and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he will feed you too. He will give you mercy and forgiveness have compassion not only on your temporal needs, but also on your eternal needs, which priority-wise is our greatest one. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. 
we thank you that you have given us your holy word that gives us an inerrant expression of all that God has done, all of his acts in history, who have which have proven who he is. Lord, we confess that most of us have been in church all our lives for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, some of us even 60 years or more. Yet, Lord, we know that time in a church building and reading your word does not guarantee that we believe or understand, just as for the disciples, being around Jesus did not guarantee that they followed after him or really understood who they were following. Lord, may you grant everyone in this room the understanding of who you are. And may we be so convinced of it, so captivated by who Jesus Christ is, that we'd be seeking to know him more and more every day. That we would have a trust that looks like what Paul said. When Paul says, I know what it looks like to be in need. I know what it looks like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Lord, we need your help not to be left in our cold indifference and hypocrisy. We might be able to convince others that we follow you, but we won't be able to fool you. Oh, Lord, may we trust in you. May we trust in the Father's plan, the Son's power, and the Spirit's strength to give us all the things that we need in this life and in the next. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me, we're going to continue and sing God's praises. We're going to be singing wonderful, merciful Savior. Please stand if you are able. Merciful Savior. 